So this is part two of sleep. Now you might recall that in the end of the part one, I had a bit of throat irritation after about 22 minutes of continuous talking. It just shows you no lecture should be more than 20 minutes. And that's why a lot of people fall to sleep because lectures are like 55 to one hour, 55 minutes to one hour. It's too long for the human body to reintegrate. You basically rot learning. So what we should be doing is make it fun or have the factual content 20 minutes and the other of application with movement. That will be a fascinating way of teaching medical students, for example, or law students. But anyway, going back to sleep, literally speaking. So <clears throat> it's very important about what actually happens physiologically in sleep because Humanity understands that we need sleep, but we don't know what actually happens in sleep. So as we covered before, in 1960s, we really documented in Stanford, and it's very important, US. The sleep research got together, studied animal model from Labrador. Then one of the chief uh, researchers, it's all documented. Have a look at the history. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, it might be Krieger, Roth and Dement, Dement might be the one, that had own son, studied son's EEG, scored it as we score sleep EEG patterns, and identified non-REM sleep and REM sleep, according to the existing data at the time. And then diagnosed narcolepsy in dogs, and then sleep clinic just expanded. And the science really hasn't changed. We'll still score in comma, EEG, according to different stages of sleep. So non-REM sleep has N1, N2, N3, depending upon the characteristic EEG pattern or brainwave activity. And non-REM sleep is crazy sparks everywhere where the muscle movement is as atonic. And then if you tend to have a sleep apnea, it's the worst time to have it because it intensifies. Because in REM sleep, everything happens. <clears throat> For example, because you are atonic, if you have a lung disease, you don't breathe. So blood pressure goes up, <clears throat> your oxygen level drops, um, you get nightmares. Uh, often they have hypoxia <clears throat> because the oxygen level drops you get this patient or client describing being chased by lunatic holding a knife or something and, or being involved in a funeral or being hit by a car or defecating or whatever. So a lot of it is letting go kind of dream but it can be very disconcerting. So as a clinician we always ask, do you dream? What kind of dream? And that gives you an idea the quality of their movement and their sleep. So in non-REM sleep, <coughs> excuse me, um, the MRI, the color Doppler MRI, it's called SPECT MRI or functional MRI, colorizes the activity of the brain. The red is hot, yellow is not so, gray is cold, blue is colder. <coughs> in non-REM sleep, the surface part of the brain is actually cold. 
um, in REM sleep, they're still so, but the red spots increases in temporal lobes on the side of your brain, your frontal lobe, and your occipital lobe, only three area. Now, why are they significant? Why? Frontal lobe is what makes us human. It gives foresight, insight, hindsight. It gives you intellect. It gives you higher reasoning, higher functioning. Temporal lobe is important because that's what controls your memory, your emotion, your gender-specific temperament. It is also seed of your soul, as the ancient described it. The ancient Egyptian used to describe it as an inner temple, temple being temporal. And um, Saint Germain, who was a renowned uh, academic lawyer, publican in 1500s, described about inner temple. So it's a very important <clears throat> that sleep is a function of that. All these are documented in history. We don't talk about it as much in medicine because we have lost that art of connection to the lineage of knowledge that we used to have. And then when you are awake, all part of the brain is active, like surface brain, you name it. Because we are constantly bombarded by stimulus, auditory, visual, tactile, positional, your thoughts. So are you actually thinking or are you given thoughts? Well, we don't know yet. But recent study published in rats in 2012 suggests if you stimulate the rat brain with sound, the brain gets activated. So energy do get through the brain, even without the hearing. <laughs> and there are many other experiments like that. So <clears throat> you'll see a lot more of this happening in the future where you basically introduce stimulus to the surface of the brain or away from the brain and you get thoughts. So brain is not just controller, but it's also receiver of energy, receiver of signals, stimulus. We often forget that in medicine, or, although neuroscientists know this as a fact. <clears throat> That's why it's so important to have good stimulus when you, or calm stimulation when you go back to sleep because you need to rest. If you have a lot of stimulation or signal, your brain's activated, you can't. So you really want the quiet space of rest, what we call repose when you <clears throat> settle into your body and just fill your body, not go through everything that happened during the day and then just rest the body. And then body does the rest. It basically, through the temporal lobe and REM sleep, it reconstitute the memory. Frontal lobe, you reconstitute your th thoughts. And occipital lobe, we don't know what exactly happens there, but <clears throat> my feeling is, as a clinician, after you know, 20 years of practice, including training and all that included, that occipital lobe function in Ramsley will probably help you to see things further than your eyes can see, so inner vision. One day we'll be able to document that fully, how to see further than your eyes can see.
<coughs> inner thoughts, inner vision. Um, a lot of religion talks about that. But <coughs> what happens when you're sleep deprived? Well, compared to normal where everything is active, when you're sleep deprived, the one area really gets affected is temporal lobe. Your temperament, your emotion, you, your memory reintegration. So if sleep deprivation continues for decades, well, the pattern is very similar to dementia, Alzheimer's disease. So the latest research published in 2018, Proceedings of New York Academy of Sciences by a group called Shokiri Kozori and a few others, really documented that, you know what? Don't get sleep deprived. It's not good for you. You are like, you have premature dementia. <coughs> And um, you deposit abnormal proteins within the brain called amyloid bodies, and then they create inflammatory vasculitis. Then you got lymphocytic infiltrate, and this is our medical language to basically describe that autoimmune response occur within the brain, and you basically self-destruct the neuron quicker than you do by aging process. And then what happens when you have alcohol or drug abuse? Well. Same thing, when you're awake without alcohol, all the brain activity is very prominent. Alcohol, guess what? It's a central nervous system depressant. So everything gets depressed except for one area, bit of frontal lobe. What that means is that it, you basically retain bit of human function, everything else is suppressed. And if you chronic use amphetamine, for example, or eyes, your inner brain get activated, so these are pleasure center around the hypothalamus and thalamus. Everything else is blurted. And if you have nicotine, similar patterns arise. So pleasure center activation, everything else neg negated. So it basically of a chronic use, you can see why people can't stop alcohol or drug or abuse because your circuitry become plastic, it gets rewired. That is why it's so difficult. We, we are actually changing our neuroanatomy uh, through substance abuse. So best treatment is prevention, don't start. And if you do start, realize it affects your body and get help and get the right help and really realize that everything we do to our body, <coughs> which are not harmonious, which is against the cycle of our body, against our natural well-being and vitality, is actually harmful. And if what your standard of health is about well-being, then you know, deepen your standard and go to another level and say, you know what, I want to abuse my body. Just say no. And I feel that's the first step to prevention. It will require a few generational changes, but we're getting there. And this is a very important, um, next 10 minutes I'll talk about sleep architecture and then we'll probably stop it after that because we could talk for a whole day on sleep. Um, it's important to understand that when you wake up, there's a signal for to alert you to sleep because our natural state is harmony. Our body wants to sleep. <laughs> it wants to rest. So <laughs> it's terrible. It's paradoxical to present this, but 
babies know this very well. When they're born, all they want to do is sleep. As we grow older, our bodies mature, we know there has to be tasks and duties and responsibilities to be done. So there's a certain level of awakefulness, drive for it. But the internal drive is to rest the body. So that increases from 9 a.m. when the cortisol, the hormone surge occurs in a diurnal cycle. Our human body works in diurnal cycle, so it's a biphasic response. Early morning, the hormones go up. It peaks about 6 p.m., 5 p.m., then drops again by midnight, then peaks again. And women's body is more sensitive than men's body are. They have a menstrual cycle on top of this. So every 14 days, they peak, they wean. So every 28, 30 days, they have a cycle. Men have a little bit, not as prominent as women. Well documented scientifically. And so there's a stimulus to sleep increasing from the day. It peaks about 9 p.m. So you need to sleep. But problem is our society is arranged in a way that we can't sleep at 9 p.m. Some people have to work later. Shame may have to do more on calls. Even I have to do some more of those. So there is a leeway <coughs> to consider to catch up sleep on the weekends or whatever. But thing is, as long as at least half of your working week follows the cycle, of the natural rhythm, you won't get sleep deprived. So at least three to four days a week. So I often work late hours, one or two days, um, early in the week, uh, because I have a good reserve of sleep, it compensates for it. But for most people, really, when the alerting signal for sleep kicks in from 9 p.m., it's important to honor the body and sleep then the stimulus of awakefulness increases from about 3 a.m. This is the internal regenerative rhythm of the body, which is documented since 1990s in studying animal models and human beings. And what our society is doing is that we don't actually respect that, and all cycle is dysfunctional. Obviously, shift workers, they have to do this in a way they restore the sleep during the day. So they work at night, in the morning they sleep, have plenty of sunlight, try to have some regenerative sleep, allow sufficient period between night shift and when they have rest to catch up with sleep. I mean, <clears throat> in my case, I've done nearly two years of night shift as a junior fellow. And the first one month was hardest because your body is not adjusting, but after a while, your body do adjust. So after nearly two years of night shift, um, I got very experienced. I really enjoyed doing night shift because my rhythm was reversed, but I was adjusting. So you can do night shift. You just have to find your rhythm to it. Um, and that's very important for young mothers with children or young couple with children or you know, <clears throat> young women who are going through a new job, or young men even, very important. Women are more susceptible, of course. A plenty of sunlight is very important. Plenty of exercise is important. Even 20, 30 minutes of working 
during the day is important because sunlight releases stimulus of melatonin and endorphins. Melatonin helps you to maintain sleep at night. Sunlight really is needed stimulus to, and that's another lecture that one, that's melatonin is quite an amazing molecule. And then <clears throat> important thing, uh, finally to end this, we need to understand sleep is related to immune function and there was a study published in 2004 and 1990s where um, researchers measured thyroid function level through blood tests in people who are sleep deprived and people who are having adequate sleep, in that case about 12 hours. And in sleep deprived people, the thyroid hormone they were released was suppressed. And you know, leptins, which are involved, it's a neurotransmitter that stimulates appetite, are also reduced. But this is the paradox. When you're sleep deprived, you feel less hungry. But when you catch up sleep, you eat more to compensate. So they actually get more obese, get more diabetes. They get more thyroid disease. They also get more adrenal fatigue or adrenal insufficiency and more menstrual dysfunction. So uh, we see more menstrual dysfunction than ever before because one of the causation may be very likely be sleep disorder. So I hope you enjoyed our two-part series. Despite my interruptors with the coughing bouts at the end of the part one after talking continuously, it just shows you how to honor your body for 20 minutes of talking. Um, if you have any questions, share, you can ask. Was there anything you wanted to ask? Um, I think I was wondering how a night shift would alter the patterns that you see in a normal person who's not working night shifts, so day shifts. It's a beautiful question that millions of MBAs and politicians will be asking. We don't really know because different companies do different night shifts. For example, in mining industry, they do week on, week off and they work 12 hours per shift, but it's a very strenuous, physically demanding work. And then you have clerical staff, uh, for example, government offices or uh, insurance companies, multinational ones, and also doctors who work maybe 10-hour shift. They do two night shift, maybe three day shift, then have a day off or something like that. So all depends and but the overall message is this very short bursts of night shifts where you don't have enough time to adjust is probably harmful it's better to design a night shift in a way and that's why industry movement is they are now designing different sort of night shift to basically adjust to bodily rhythm and the defense force are very good at this they have to deal with night shift because your country has to be defended at night. Also, pilots are very good at this. Also, the aircraft controllers and navigational officers on big merchant navy, merchant ships, they're a bit more ahead um, than 
normal civilian practice because you know when they muck up whole country goes or you know 300 400 people crossing that transcontinental barrier dies basically or jeopardize so they have for example airline pilots they know about circadian rhythm what the implication of traveling east to west or west to east they know about jet lag time lag which is basically all what we're talking about <coughs> and what they do is they have spare pilots and they have rotational shift where they can slip in between flight attendants do that so there's a harmonious way of doing it Thank you for that. Was there anything else that you wanted to ask before we end this magnificent session with sleep, part two? Just one more question. Um, how is the quality of sleep affected by shorter bursts of sleep as opposed to one long sort of nighttime sleep? That's an amazing question, Shay, because so-called power sleep, what we find, especially in sleep-deprived people, or people even with sleep apnea, what we find, research we find is more than one hour sleep is actually harmful during the day because what actually happens is that the REM sleep kicks in very quickly within 20-30 minutes where when you're not sleep-deprived or we don't have sleep disorder, they kick in within about 90 minutes, 120 minutes after sleep onset. So earlier REM sleep and suddenly you disturb the sleep after waking after one hour because you have to go back to work or whatever. <clears throat> so the power sleep is good because you go into what we call slow wave sleep very quickly. You may get REM sleep, that, that's okay. That, that rapid transition to slow wave sleep actually regenerates the body. So non-REM sleep has regenerative role too. That's why I discovered the last 10 years. But the REM sleep does more cardiovascular immune recovery, where non-REM does more cognitive recovery. So how well you're feeling, you see. So our advice for at our current level understanding of medicine is that consider at least 20 minutes, but don't have you know, one hour siesta. Not a rule, of course, it's a guide. But if you're going to have a sleep, have a decent sleep. Two, three hour siesta, like Spanish do. Don't have a short one. But, you know, don't have a short one like one hour. That's probably not. But if you're going to have one, just have a short burst of sleep, then you'll find that you can sleep earlier that evening and have more REM sleep to regenerate. So. It's a beautiful question, but it's not a rule. For every person, it's different. So you have to ask about sleep and go through what is relevant. And when we talk about sleep for about 45-minute questionnaire, you can grab what's needed for every person. So there's no textbook for it. It's just going to sit down and talk about sleep. Thank you, Shay, for this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, and until next time, goodbye from Spring Hill in Brisbane.